We're scared of the feeling. We're not scared of the guy not texting you. We're scared of what's going to happen and how you're going to feel when the guy doesn't text you. So instead of being so scared of the feeling, lean into them. It's like ice baths. You're terrified of getting into an ice bath because it sounds awful. It is. Then you get in and you're like, oh, I mean, it's not that bad. You know, it's like I could do this for a minute. You start to grow a resistance. Welcome to the Just Live Podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Stevens, and I'm inviting you in on my personal journey of learning and discovering how to live a life with more connection, joy, and purpose. I'll be sitting down with people from all walks of life to dive into topics including trauma, mental health, mindfulness, the nuances of love and relationships, and much more. I hope these conversations empower you to expand on what serves you, release what doesn't, and just live. Welcome back to the Just Live Podcast. I am your host, Olivia Stevens, and I think I have a great episode for you this week. I have an incredible conversation with Sabrina Zohar. Sabrina is a dating coach and host of the very popular podcast, Do The Work, and her content where she shares very real and unfiltered insights on relationships has earned her over 700,000 followers on TikTok and 23 million likes. Sabrina offers practical advice into the intricacies of dating from understanding attachment styles to navigating today's modern dating landscape to the process of healing from heartbreak. She dives into it all with a very refreshing blend of wisdom, humor, relatability, and a few dozen curse words. In this episode, we cover topics like why aren't they texting you back, her take on some very popular dating advice out there, how to move on after heartbreak, and also breaking some unhealthy dating patterns. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you find it helpful. If you think someone you know um, could benefit from it, please share it, pass it along, um, leave a review. Things like that always help me grow the podcast and continue to offer these great episodes. So again, thanks so much for your support and I hope you enjoy. Anyway, let's talk about (laughs) dating and relationships. Why don't you give us a little backstory so the listeners kind of know who you are, how you got into um, creating your podcast and becoming a dating coach? Totally. So my name is Sabrina Zohar. I'm a dating coach and the host of Do The Work podcast. Um, And I also have a clothing line called Software. And so that kind of plays into a little bit of how I got started. Um, Thank you. So I actually went to school for acting uh, when I was 18. So I really thought that was going to be my trajectory. And I always thought that the way to be in front of other people was going to be by being somebody else without realizing that like the way I wanted to show up in front of other people was actually as myself. And so I went to acting school, went to worked in fashion. That's how I kind of like segued into um Work, owning my own company, my mom went to the doctor with a headache in 2017 and they found six brain aneurysms uh, that corroded the top half of her head. So she was pretty much like a, a doll in a china shop. It was just like, if anything happens to her, that's it. So we went through four months of like the worst just surgery after surgery and everything failing and nothing working and me like getting ready to say goodbye to my mother. Um, and she just refused to allow their prognosis to get her down. And she was like, no, that's it. Like, I'm going to be fine. Wow. And so I started creating my clothing company in that time because there was nothing for her in the hospital. Like everything was either super expensive or made overseas and she's just super sensitive. So that's how software came about. And the day after her, um, they created a coil. It worked. I got a photo of her in the hospital bed and they started software the next day. So that was in 2017. And in that time was when my personal journey started. I started with therapy and I got into the worst relationship of my entire life. I I married my father. I textbook, classic, yeah, narcissist, 
super verbally abusive. Like it was just cliche textbook and like all while trying to run my business and trying to understand what was going on. And he actually gave me the book attached. And so that was the first time I, I remember reading it going, oh my God, I, I have anxious attachment style. Like I'm not crazy. There's this a thing. Like, yeah. it's not just that I get anxious and freak out. Like, okay, cool. Um, and so that started my journey of self-discovery. And so like when he left and we broke up and it was this whole fucking big blowout, I started therapy, I started ketamine treatments, I started doing inner child work. Like I really started to dive in and start to really understand like, wait a minute, I'm not a snowflake. Like there are, there's gotta be other people that experience this. And so I started to do panels and podcasts from software, being as like an entrepreneur, but everything always revolved around dating. I would always use different things to say, you know, like in dating. And it just got to a point where even some of my friends were like, Dude, why don't you have a podcast? And for me, it was limiting beliefs. Oh, no, nobody cares about me. Nobody has, gives a shit about what I have to say. Who the fuck am I? I'm crazy. All of that. And September 2022, last year, I said, you know what? Fuck it. Let me try putting it on TikTok and seeing if maybe other people are experiencing what I'm experiencing. Then that started to grow. Then my dog passed away. I broke up with the guy I was seeing. Talk about hitting rock bottom. And that's when I was like, something needs to change. And I really started to focus my energy on, okay, well, Shark Tank sent me home for software. My dream of being you know, on TV and that doing Shark Tank just came crashing down. I have to do something else. I can't even afford rent. I've got to do something. Yeah. And I just started putting my energy into that. And then the TikTok exploded. And then February of this year, I said, all right, I'll do a podcast. Like, let me share my experiences with my anxious attachment style. That blew up. And now entering into 2024, literally going, holy shit, a year ago today, I had just met my partner thinking, I don't even like this guy. I don't think I'm ever going to see him again. And my dog is gone. I have nobody. I'm broke. I hate my apartment. I hate Venice. And now going a year later, I have a three-bedroom home with my partner. My business is in six figures. The podcast is exploding. Next year, I have so many new things. I'm like, never would have thought if you had asked me last year and told me this would have happened, I would have told you were fucking dreaming. Yeah, that's crazy how much can change in a year. Right? I want to talk a little bit about the attachment styles. I know. So you totally. identify as an anxious attachment. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know about how attachment styles are formed? Like how does someone become an anxious attachment or an avoidant attachment? What What do you know about that? So the attachment styles, there's three main ones that people use. There is a spectrum. So it's like there is nuances to them and things like that. But for argument's sake, there's anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. So it's like they're secure, which is what everybody is striving to be. And then there's the three insecure attachment styles there. And like I said, they are a spectrum. So you could have, you can kind of waver through and go from secure to anxious, but very rarely is it, I'm avoidant with one person and then I'm anxious with another. It's like, because anxious, like attachment styles in general are developed in early childhood. Attachment styles are how you attach to your caregiver. That's it. Simply put. So for somebody with a severe, like myself, a very severe textbook anxious attachment style, that forms from growing up, I had a narcissistic father and a people-pleasing mother. I had a dad that was in and out all the time from birth, literally was constantly like, I, I'll never forget him just screaming at you saying, you're such a stupid piece of shit. You're so stupid. And then two minutes later being like, my love, come here, come here, come sit next to me. And you're like, what? Like I'm four. I, I can't process that. And so we form this, we one form coping mechanisms in order to keep us safe in these environments. So 
for someone with anxious attachment style, people pleasing, always waiting for the other person to validate, being scared of abandonment. Someone's always going to leave me. I have to do anything I can to hold on. Anxious attachment style is a low sense of self, high sense of others. That's why other people validate the anxious attacher. Then when we go to the avoidant, the avoidant is literally the opposite, low sense of others, high sense of self. So an avoidant, like good friend of mine, super avoidant. And she came from a household where both her parents worked all the time. So anytime she'd go to them, they were dismissive of her. Didn't mean that her parents abused her. She learned at a young age though, I don't, I can only rely on myself. They're too busy. Their needs, my emotions make them overwhelmed, which means emotions aren't safe. So I can't have those. I only get accolades when I'm perfect. Great. Perfectionism, overworking. That's how her avoidance manifested because when she gets overwhelmed, she was never taught how to express herself properly. Instead, it was those people would remove themselves. So she felt, I can't, their fear of rejection. I don't want them to see me like that because they only like me when I do well. Then we have the disorganized, low sense of self, low sense of others. The disorganized happens in that push-pull. That is that dynamic. A lot of people will say, well, with my ex, I was anxious and now I'm more avoidant. It's like, no, you just shut down. Your body is going into energy saver. The disorganized shows up. I was dating a guy that was disorganized. Literally one minute you're in his arms and he's saying, I've met my match. I met my equal. I've never felt so connected to somebody. And you're having this moment. And then no joke, 30 minutes later, it's, I said, I met an equal, not my equal. I, I, we're just, you know, kind of seeing where this goes. I don't they, they don't trust because they want the love, but then when they go for it, it's no, this is scary. So those are people that had like homes of abuse. So imagine that your parents say, come here, I love you. And then they hit you. Well, how do you trust that? You want the love and you go for it. But then when you go for it, you get reprimanded and hurt. Interesting. So when they do meet somebody that is, you know, loving to them or showing affection and they kind of pull back because of that attachment. Interesting. Because they want the love. So they'll go for it more. So then when the, so like, let's say for instance, it's me and you. So when you come towards me and I pull back saying, this isn't safe, but then I want it. So I'm going to go closer to you, but then you give it to me. No, this isn't safe. It's a trigger because what's happening is to them, if you're unaware of all this, what they see it as getting close and having emotional connection, that's not safe because I'm going to get hurt and someone's going to leave me and they're always going to abandon me. And the avoidant got a terrible rep. Even the writer of Attached, Demir Levine, recently came out with a, a statement saying, I, if I, I wish I had rewritten the book because I was way too hard on the avoidant and I didn't understand them enough because it's been villainized. All of a sudden it's as if they just don't feel and they can remove themselves. All it means is that when an avoidant person gets overwhelmed, they shut down. Got they it. can't. So they'll remove themselves. It's not just, it's not that the avoidant person is just going to waste your time and say, fuck you. I don't want to talk to you. This shows up in every area of their life to the point where even my partner, his mom says, oh, she, he's always been like this because he's avoidant by nature. That's how he attaches to people because he doesn't feel safe. Wow. Yeah. It's not just happening with you, but everyone else they're good with. It's like, like right. same with my anxiety. I'm anxious in relationships. I'm anxious in every other part of life. Right. Wow. That's so interesting. Okay. Right. Once you start to understand the psychology, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. What are some other ways that they might show up? I know you said like you're anxious in in other um, parts of your life. So as far as like, you know, going after a goal or, um, you know, trying to start a business or something like that, like how would an anxious attachment person approach that versus like an avoidant attachment 
So an avoidant attacher, they see it as, that's why avoidant attachers are usually the successful ones. They're usually the ones that are like really goal oriented and career driven because they see it as I have to keep proving myself. Their fear of rejection is so deep. They don't want anyone to see them in a light less than they see themselves in that light. So that's why if you, if you tell like an avoidant person, you know, I'm really disappointed in you, that's why they can shut down because in their mind it's, I, I let this person down. They see me less than how I see myself. I'm a fucking failure. That's their biggest fear is that you're going to see them as a rejection. So they put even more work into their career because they can control that. They validate themselves. Whereas the anxious attacher, when I started my business, I didn't trust myself. I, anybody that told me they didn't like my hoodie, I would go, okay, we need to change it. Anytime it was, I would always be overthinking everything. Okay, but I did, did I do this right? Wait, but this photo doesn't look right. Are people going to like it? Wait, wait, always waiting for other people to validate what I wanted. Or even something as simple as friendships. I text my friend. She didn't write me back. Did I say something that bothered her? Wait, did She's I, mad she me. mad at me? Yeah, wait, fuck, did I do something? And then you were like being extra sweet to them because you're like, well, wait, I hope I didn't do anything. And it's like, no, no, that's how they handle things. That doesn't mean that I did anything wrong. Yeah. So it can manifest in so many different ways. Yeah. How do people begin, once they recognize their attachment style, what are some steps they can take to kind of heal and move along the spectrum towards a more secure attachment? So the first off is awareness. That's always going to be the most important aspect is like, even when you're dysregulated and we're talking about regulating your nervous system, we can't do anything if you're not even aware of what is happening. So right. even just taking that moment to say, oh, I think I'm acting in a way that doesn't align with how I want people to see me. You might not even know that it's my anxious attachment style. That, that's kind of irrelevant. We don't need to self-diagnose. Right. But it's more of I'm acting in ways that don't align. Then what's really, really important, especially because it's different, it's same, same, but different. For the avoidant person, their work is now being lied into, it lies in understanding, okay, so when I, like, we look at it this way, let's say this is your nervous system with your anxious, this is the anxious, this is the avoidant. So if everything's going well, cool, 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 everything's all right, right? Where they're not being triggered. When they get triggered, the anxious, the avoidant might go, I have to remove myself. Then the anxious is going, but I need you to come back closer. Dysregulation takes them away from baseline, which is where they'll start to react. So yeah. the important thing is, let's say you're the avoidant attacher and you're going, I need to remove myself. What the number one thing is for both of you, and then the anxious person is, I need to come closer. We need to stop and say, wait a minute, what's happening in my body? That's the first step. What is going on? If, I, if I'm dysregulated, I need to regulate my nervous system because what's happening is your nervous system is meant to keep you safe, right? So if you and I were in the jungle right now and a tiger came, if our nervous system had us go fight or flight or freeze or fawn, it's doing its job, chef kiss, beautifully. Right. But what happens is when we're dating and your body perceives that this is your mom or dad that's about to abandon you and it starts to rev up saying, I'm not safe if I don't have them, that's when you're right, your nervous system is no longer actually keeping you safe. It's now just keeping you in fight or flight. It's keeping you dysregulated to perception that you're not safe. So for the avoidant person, for both people, they need to regulate. First off, they need to come back to the present moment of, wait, this isn't mom or dad. Like I'm not, I'm not in danger here. Yeah. The avoidant person needs to start looking at what's coming up in my body. When do I remember feeling that if I allow someone in my life, I'm not safe or this is dangerous. This is scary. The anxious person has to look at when somebody, when this happens, so they didn't text me, what's happening in my body? What's coming up for me? Okay. When have I ever remembered feeling that somebody is about to leave me? Someone's about to abandon me. We have to tap into our body first and foremost to address what age is coming out because we're reacting, not responding. Hmm. I love that you said that how in the moment 
we think we're being, we're, we're like not being loved by the person, but you said, oh, what, what am I feeling where the younger version of me felt like I was being abandoned by my parents? So it's really not about, oh, I didn't get a text back for a few hours. My brain thinks I'm being abandoned and I'm going to die. Exactly. That's but why. Recognizing that and then being like, okay, how do I reframe this in my mind? Because that's not what's actually happening. I need to tell exactly. a different story. How can, and then it's like, and then we can even go deeper of like, how can I reparent that little me? You know, texting such a great fucking example. Let's say we were working through this and you're like, okay, I'm feeling it here. I'm feeling it here. I'm feeling it here. Great. Okay. Then we, we've worked through it because it takes 90 seconds for an emotion to run its course. But every time you have a thought that starts, you start that clock again. So if we can remove that and say, let's say we're talking about the texting thing. Oh, that guy didn't text me back. That's why I'm always saying it's never just one text. It's not about the text. It's what does that signify? Okay, great. So he didn't text me. Let's go fucking deeper. It's not just, wow, what an asshole. Ew, he must not want me bad enough. It's like, let's, let's grow up, shall we? You're sounding like a, you're sounding like a teenager is where that's yeah. sounding like. So instead what we can do is wait a minute. Okay. What's happening in my body? What's going on? Then we can say, okay, after I've done that and I've allowed this, oh, this is called, this is sadness. Okay. I make space for sadness. I am allowing myself, okay, I'm allowing myself to feel what sad feels like. Then after, when we start to go, okay, what was the narrative that starts to play? Because mm -hmm. the narrative that starts to play is probably, I knew he didn't like me. Okay, great. What are the facts to back that thought process up? Well, I don't have any facts to back that up. I don't know that he doesn't like me. That's just where I'm deducing. Okay, great. This feeling in your body, when do you remember feeling that? When I was a kid, I used to feel this all the time when my dad would leave. Okay, so that's telling us that you're about seven years old right now. So if that seven-year-old were here, what do you think it needs to hear from you? Well, By being able to support. And then if I said, it needs to hear that I'm never going to abandon her. I'm always going to be there for her. I love her and I choose her no matter what. Then what you've done just now, you've been able to support yourself. You've been able to regulate. You've been able to address that. Them not texting you doesn't mean that they don't like you. That means what happened within you was that you created a narrative around that and that your inner child needed you more. Hmm. Wow. I know. Powerful shit. This is very powerful. I love this stuff though. I know. And you, you share it so well. You've got such great insight and such a great way of um, expressing it. So it's digestible. Um, your content online is also fantastic because it's very matter of fact, <laughs> and it's kind of what a lot of us need to hear. It's very blunt, um, but you don't sugarcoat it. And I feel like ever since being a, you know, a teenager, even before like middle school and, and beyond, you know, we're inundated with this kind of dating advice and what we yeah. should do. It's coming from every direction. And, um, I know you've mentioned before that a lot of it seems it's, it's very tactful. It's very, um, like kind of playing into this narrative of like, play the game and do this. And it's almost like manipulation. So I would love to hear your thoughts on what, what is some dating advice that you have heard that you disagree with um, or that you feel is manipulation? Where do I begin? I so I think that was my struggle as well is like, you know, we we're told there, there's no manual. Nobody taught us yeah. how to do this. You know, we're going based on our projections. Your friends are going based on their projections. So it's like when I started dating and kind of going into this, there was nobody to say like, what was reality? You know, it's like I was dating in major cities, New York and LA and Miami, like for 15 years of my adult life. I have seen 
every every situation has a story behind it. And what I think the number one thing I saw that really isn't serving people are like these bumper sticker slogans, you know, things that are 140 characters or less. And it's like, that is just, first off, there's no nuance. So like, if he wanted to, he would. How fucking shallow and lowbrow are we that you think everything is just about want? So, okay. So then you must not want to be secure bad enough, right? If that, if, if the roles are reversing, right? You must not, you're not a millionaire. Well, you must not want it bad enough. What it's doing is it's stripping away nuance and compassion and understanding of it takes bandwidth and tools. You think because you met somebody who is wildly avoidant, has serious trauma, that because they met you, all of a sudden, they now need to change all of their thought processes and behavior just because of you? First of all, how entitled, how fucking arrogant to think that someone's going to change simply because you exist. And you've graced the presence of their world. Baby, I know I'm amazing, but I'm not that amazing. I'm not amazing to the point that I can get anybody to change who they are. That's manipulation. So it's like that, I, I fucking hate that advice. If you know, you know, and you know, no, you don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. It took me five months to realize that I liked my partner. It did because it doesn't just happen. The spark and what you're chasing is your nervous system getting dysregulated and feeling familiarity. Doesn't mean that there's compatibility at all and that you can have a relationship. And I think the other one, uh, the other shit that really gets me is the do this to get this. Oh, this guy, like there's a few big coaches that'll do the, you know, he's not answering you match that energy. You do what he's doing back. So you're gamifying dating. So you're Mm -hmm. saying, oh, you're not doing what I, it's protest behavior. You're not doing what I want. Great. Then I'm going to punish you. So I now have to water down what my needs are and how I show up to people because you're acting like a fucking jackass. Yeah. There is no, you can't send a text to get a guy to be obsessed with you. I'm so tired of that stuff. Like yeah. send this and he'll be obsessed. Yeah. Cause he wants to fuck you. Sure. Right. Good luck with that. I know. I feel like I can think back to so many conversations, even just with friends being in the group chat. What do I say? What do I say? I'm like, say what you want to say, say what you feel like we're overthinking things way too much. I think when it comes, especially to texting, I know you talk a lot about texting and also getting off of the texting and having real conversations. <laughs> it's cause like, like you said, your friends are coming into this with their fears of if I yeah. say anything, I'm too much. Okay. Where'd yeah. you learn that behavior? Because you're, listen, I'm too much for a lot of people. I know that. I'm very cognizant about that. And my response to them, to the people that say that I'm too much is go fuck yourself. Fine. And you don't get to learn what I'm trying to teach you. I don't change who I am to make other people comfortable. I stay who I am so that the people that feel comfortable come to me. Yeah, exactly. That's the energy we need in dating. (laughs) I know. I know you've said too before, as far as, you know, the communication goes, That, you know, if you're unsure about something, ask. If you have questions, ask. Why do you think that it's so hard for people just to have honest, open communications, a communication, especially in the beginning, you know, before the relationship has been defined? Why do you think that's so difficult for people? Core beliefs. It's one, who taught us how to do that? Who taught us? Like, I asked my sister that when she first met her husband, they've been together for almost 20 years. Yeah. Like they met when they were like 18 they knew each other from the kids, but reconnected. I know one of those stories. And when she first started dating her husband, she was, Oh, I remember her coming home and crying to my mom, but he's going to leave me. And he, he's not going to like me and he's not going to be there. And I'll never forget her husband looked at her and he was like, no matter what you try to do, I'm not going anywhere. And he was like, there's nothing that you could do to scare me off. And 
when I asked her recently, I said, Jane, where'd you learn that from? She's like, mom. She's like, every time mom would open her mouth, dad would yell, dad would scream, dad would get angry. She's like, so I was so scared to open my mouth because I was scared that I was going to have the same thing. Those are core beliefs. And what happens is when we project that onto people in dating, because we haven't done that inner work to allow that little version of us to know that it's okay to take up space. It's okay to have a voice. I was her. I used to be that girl that if a guy was, you know, I'll never forget this guy that I really liked. He texted me because he was a DJ. Great. Good job, Sabrina. You're fucking 22 or 21 <laughs> thinking that was a good idea. And he texts me. And bartenders. <laughs> right. Exactly. At like four in the morning when he got off, come over. I'm horny. <laughs> now, the me now wouldn't have even had him in my phone book because people yeah. like that don't. But what did I do back then? I'm on my way. I left at four in the morning. My mom was in town. Even she was like, where the fuck are you going? I snuck out. I went at four in the morning. I went, I hooked up with him and I came back because I was so scared of holding a boundary that he would leave me because I perceived him as he's my dad. So he's going to leave me because I was so scared of the feeling that when I finally tapped into the feeling of, all right, so what if they leave? When I started to address that, I was like, oh, yeah, who gives a shit? Right. That's so interesting. I know. I think, I think a lot about, you know, what I was modeled growing up and, and it's a wonder, like, we don't know how to have like open communications or how to have, you know, um, conversations with our partners. You know, if you think about if there's like a disagreement, I mean, I was never modeled that I was modeled screaming matches Mm -hmm. and then stonewalling and, um, you know, the silent treatment and then Mm -hmm. everything being fine. So then that's right. what, at least for me growing up, what I thought was normal and I never, um, n- witnessed, you know, healthy conversations, healthy disagreements and compromise and, and coming to a place where both parties, you know, feel like they've been heard and seen and they're understood. And I also think too, as a female, I don't know if you can relate to this, at least growing up in my household and I was a younger sibling, I have an older sister and she, she she, you know, spoke up and would disagree with a certain parent and that was punished. And so I witnessed and learned to not say what I was feeling, to not speak up because I would be punished. I would get in trouble. So it was like, it doesn't matter if you felt differently or, um, you know, this, that, and the other, you couldn't say anything because you would be reprimanded. And so I feel like I have still, I've brought that into adulthood and I still feel like I shut down when Mm -hmm. things get tough or if there is a disagreement or a confrontation because I'm afraid of that person. I'm afraid of them not loving me because I'm like, oh, well, he seems like he's not, you know, loving my sister right now in this moment, the way he's acting. So I can't be like that or else he won't love me. Um, So I feel like I definitely see that showing up in relationships and just in conflict in general, feeling like, uh, be the good girl. Don't speak mm-hmm. up. Don't say what you feel. And so now it's really, I've been working to like unlearn that and really say, yeah. say what it is that I'm feeling. Cause what, think um, about yeah. that. Sorry to interrupt that. Yeah, the coping mechanisms you created in childhood are ultimately the challenges you're facing in adulthood. Because when we look back, how much compassion and love you can hold for yourself as a child to go, Oh my God, thank you for keeping me safe. Look what happened when I'm the youngest too. My brother used to get beat the fuck down by my dad. Like I remember like on the floor as a ball and my dad beating the shit. He was ADHD. He was all over the place. He didn't know he was a drug addict. He had all of these issues. And so what did I learn? Shut your fucking mouth. Don't you dare open your mouth. You stay quiet. Because think about it. When you, little Olivia, kept you safe. 
So we have to thank her. Thank you so much. But baby, this isn't dad. We're not dating daddy. He's no yeah. longer here. We now need to take up space because we're not, we're not getting abandoned in our adulthood. But, and when we think about, imagine if you had opened your mouth, what would have happened? So these are protective mechanisms. So every time when you think of what, well, you know, people will go, why am I shutting down? Instead, I'd like to reframe, how is this trying to protect me? What is this trying to protect me from? So if you go, how is this trying to protect me? Well, I don't want to get hurt. Okay. Who's going to hurt me? Right. This person's yeah. not dead. Where did I learn that from? Oh, okay. Well, how can I support myself through this? And give myself permission to let her know, hey, because if you're on loop, let's say your, your, your memory, every time you get triggered, you go back to that little girl that's watching your sister get hurt and you're just crying, you're shuddering. Then the work goes into you going back to that memory and just meditating on her and saying, well, I'm here to, to get, take you. You're no longer need to stay here stuck. I'm here to save you because no one else is going to come and get you. And I'm here to let you know, we don't live here anymore. You have all the right to take up space. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. I know. Very powerful. It's I'm taking notes, by the way. So. <laughs> I it's, know this is recording, but I'm like, <laughs> it's and it's like one of those things that I think it's so it's so important to really start to address like what's actually under the hood because in those moments you might think, well, I don't want to scare him away. I'm not going to be too needy. This has nothing to do with either one of those. You're not scaring somebody away because you have a need, and if you do, good. Thank God that person left. And you're not too needy. You have needs that you also need to address. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also kind of, this is all just giving me so much to think about. Like, <laughs> I love how you put that, what's actually under the hood. So when I look back to my dating life, um, I think one of, I guess, I don't know if I would frame it as a regret, but I guess something I wish um, I understood a lot sooner you know, now I'm unpacking it. I went through a breakup last year. So I've done a lot of healing mm -hmm. in the last year and learning and, and all, all that. that. Um, <laughs> yes. But I, I look back on my dating history and I feel like, you know, the people I wasn't choosing anybody. It was like, someone was giving me attention. And then I, the only thing I would focus on is everything I need to do to keep them you know, mm -hmm. checked in or dialed in, like, what do I have to do? How do I have to act? What do I have to say? What do I have to wear? And I never really ever, you know, considered, especially in the beginning, you know, do I like this person? Do our mm -hmm. values align? How do they make me feel? It was always just like, I want to be chosen. I want to be chosen. I want to be chosen. And I never, you know, it, the being chosen was far more important then whether or not I actually wanted to choose this person. And it felt like I didn't even have any choice at all, which sounds crazy. Um, but what was the point well, of that? <laughs> no, and it's, it's a great point to bring, it's a great point to bring up because I think so many people feel that of like, yeah. you know, just, well, but it's, it's all about being chosen because that's the validation. And then, well, like I had a client the other day and we were talking and I, I said, well, what is it that you want? And you could just see his eyes lit up and he was like, I haven't, he was like, that is the simplest question anyone's asked. He was like, I haven't thought about that. I never stopped yeah. to ask, what are my needs? What works for me? And you're so scared of your, are you chosen? Cho do you choose this person? Do you like this person? How do you feel? How's your nervous system feel when you're with them? Do you feel seen, heard, understood? Do you actually feel safe? Once you start to do that, and the reason that I always talk about when we're going through breakups, like some of these people that are like, it's been three years and I'm, I'm still in love with this person. And it's like, because you're refusing to see them for who they are. 
You're refusing to see them for who they are and you're refusing to accept the situation as it is. That's called denial. And if you're going to just keep living in that space of, no, everything was perfect. Everything was amazing. It's like, bitch, if it were so amazing, y'all would still be together. Let's stop pretending here. And once we start to really go through it, it's, yeah, I guess it wasn't so amazing. I just really wanted to be chosen. Yeah. Welcome to being a human. It's sad, but it happens. The matters Um, of the heart don't make a lot of sense. (laughs) I know. It's frustrating. I think that's something that I've been struggling with. Um, and I've been giving myself a hard time, you know, working through the healing and moving forward from the breakups. I was cheated on. We lived mm-hmm. together, we bought a house together, and then um, bachelor weekend happened. <clears throat> Fun. Yeah. Um, but I feel like what I'm struggling with a lot is feeling like I'm not over it, like I'm yeah. still sad. And, you know, people, I don't know if this is good advice or not, have just said, you know, you're moving through something, you're healing, you like lost a life you thought you were going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had a son. So I was kind of like a stepmom in a sense. And so he's, they're like, you kind of have to like re-identify with, you know, your life now and it's okay to like mourn, but I still feel like I think about this person way too much and it frustrates me. So my best, totally is, so I went through something kind of similar, not to that extent of like that specificities, but more just when I first met my partner, I had, was, I was dating two people and I was seeing this other guy and he was on paper, everything I wanted. And my partner just wasn't like, I love my partner. Don't get me wrong. But at the time I was like, that's the tall hat, hot tattooed, unavailable, you know, guy, like he's my ex. (laughs) Yeah. He's the emotionally unavailable, like really, really smoke show, tall tattooed guy that's successful and has the nice car and the dog and the banter is unbelievable, but he didn't have a lot of the other qualities that my partner had. And so when I first started dating my partner, the whole time I was constantly thinking about this other guy and like guilting myself, like, God, fuck, why can't you just get him off your mind? Jesus Christ, you're always thinking about him. And I was starting to get frustrated. I was like, why am I stuck on this person? Until I stopped and I said, okay, this is taking up mental real estate. And instead of me attacking myself, so like even for you, when you think of him, instead of being like, God, why do I still think I'm mad at myself? Allow it. Fine. Yeah. I'll allow myself to think of him. What do I miss about him? Okay. So I miss him. Okay. I'm allowed to do that. Right. We can, as humans, we can hold two conflicting thoughts. I can miss somebody and also know that they're not right for me. I can miss somebody and love this person as a human being, but also know that our needs aren't, we're not compatible. So the more you fight this, allow it, feel it, sit with it and be like, okay, I'm fucking sad. Because when I started to allow myself to do that, and I really allowed myself to just sit and be like, all right, so I'm sad right now. I really liked that guy and it didn't work out. All of a sudden, after like a month, it just just stopped having, like, I just started to notice. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think about that guy. And then all of a sudden I was like really into my partner. And then we started to progress. And then the other day, I was like a couple of weeks ago, I saw the guy watching one of my stories and you know, your heart drops for a mere second. And I look, and I remember just looking and I, I, I went to his profile. I saw he had unfollowed me. I unfollowed him and I had a mere moment and I just looked and I was like, okay, well that's full. And I just was able to move on. I had my moment of mourning it and saying, it's done. This is over. And I remember looking at my partner and I said, you have so much more that this person didn't. This person didn't have the empathy and the compassion and the understanding and the thoughtfulness and all of those things. I liked him, but I also knew he wasn't for me. Yeah. I know. I definitely know that and understand that, but I guess I still feel like you said, it's okay to feel two conflicting things. Um, So Another recommendation I have is when those moments arise, 
put your phone on for three minutes, give yourself the 90 seconds and just trace the feeling in your body. Just sit there and say, where is this? What's coming up for me? Allow yourself to sit with the emotion. Oh, this is anger. Huh? Okay. This is sadness. Cool. Welcome. It's good to see you. You're not going to stay for long, but it's good to see you. You make space because what happens is you grow resistance. We're so scared. We're scared of the feeling. We're not scared of the guy not texting you. We're scared of what's going to happen and how you're going to feel when the guy doesn't text you. So instead of being so scared of the feeling, lean into them. It's like ice baths. You're terrified of getting into an ice bath because it sounds awful. It is. Then you get in and you're like, oh, I mean, it's not that bad. You know, it's like I could do this for a minute. You start to grow a resistance. Grow resistance. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I think um, it's definitely revealed to me, you know, some inner child work and some healing that I still need to do. I think there's just this, um, just that deep feeling of like rejection, you know, and not feeling loved or chosen. Um, and it's sad because the relationship kind of started that way. And it was like, I just wanted to be chosen by this person so bad. And I just wanted to be, um, you know, in his life and chosen by him. And I also, I wanted to mention too, back to like growing up and especially as a female, I feel like we're loved in such a conditioned way where if we're not like useful or doing something or like, you know, helping around the house or have we like, I feel like we feel we only receive love if there's some kind of utility, you know, we're being good or we're being helpful. And I feel like that kind of stuck with me and I wanted to be chosen by him. And I also wanted to like help him and as yeah. this role, you know, stepping in and like helping him and, you know, the parent role too. So then I, I felt like once he finally did come around and the relationship did feel strong. And then, you know, months later I found out he cheated. It was just like, you know, it just felt like such a devastation, like such a betrayal. It um, is, it yeah. is. And that's okay to see like, yeah, it fucking hurts. It does because somebody did betray you. But we have to remember, especially when it comes to cheating, rarely does it actually have to do with the other person. More often than not, we start to realize, oh, that person, like you said, he had his issues prior. You guys had points where he was more avoidant and things like that. So he has his insecurities and he handled that in a specific way because the alternative could have been that he called you and had a conversation with you and he chose not to. Yeah. That's where, because, you know, with, with, when we, we think about our attachment styles, we're always so, not only are we conditioned to act in a certain way, but then when we get in trouble, it's like my mom always said, she's like growing up, you know, what was taught to us? What did you do wrong? How you didn't satisfy your husband? Like my mom said, she's like, I would have people tell me your husband cheated on you. Well, it's because you're not satisfying him. And she's like, that was the rhetoric. Then that's what we're taught. Yeah. And now we have to undo that narrative to go, I didn't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong here. That person handled this because that's how he chose to handle it. And how I chose to handle it was to walk the fuck away because I'm a badass bitch and I know that. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) It sucks. You're allowed to feel shitty. Yeah. I know you just did an episode on your podcast um, with John Kim, the angry therapist. And I think it had a lot to do with infidelity. Do you have any key takeaways or anything you want to share from that? I'm yeah, I mean, it, by the way, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I love, love John. Him. Yeah, he's he's yeah. awesome. Such a cool yeah. dude. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest one of the biggest things that I remember the takeaway is like, you know, when some when we have infidelity, yes, it can. You, once a cheater is not always a cheater. Like some people genuinely can work through the issues that cause them if they have the bandwidth and the tools to do so. Like yeah. your ex, 
if he had chosen to go to therapy and really address these things, like, yeah, he could actually work through what caused him to do that. Or he could say it was a one-time thing. It's never going to happen again. And then be the, just keep replaying the same shit. And so that was a big thing. And then Johnny also, another big aspect of it was that sometimes when there is infidelity, the hardest question for the person who has been cheated on is to even ask that person and say like, was there anything that I caused? Was there anything that I can take ownership of here? Because I think we look at it, not in your situation, because yours was pretty like, he was away, bachelorette party, it was like, or bachelor party is like, okay, we kind of know what happened there. But even then, even then we see, you know, a lot of the times, like I had a client and he had cheated on his partner. And when we, when we really talked about it and he was like, you want to know why the fuck I did this? He was like, because she was withholding sex from me for almost eight, like eight months. And he was like, every time I would try to talk to her, she would blow up on me and say I was being insensitive. And he was like, I wasn't feeling like my needs were being met. I didn't feel like I was being heard. And I met somebody else who actually fucking listened to me. Yeah. Now again, do I give him free credence? No, 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 no. This isn't a like, oh, it's okay. Then you're allowed to do that. No, because then for him, we worked through. Those are where we find a voice. We talk to our partner or we leave our yeah. partner. Yeah, but, talk or leave. <laughs> but nonetheless, when they were able to have a conversation, then when she understood that, they actually, because they had a kid together, they actually co-parent fine because she understood. And she was like, wow, you're right. I wasn't being there for you. I didn't even give yeah. you the opportunity to talk. It's okay. Sometimes we have to take a step back and be like, you know, is there, is there something not a gaslighting manipulation? You drove me to do this, but hearing somebody else doesn't mean that we have to automatically be like, Oh, I'll forgive and forget, but at least we can hold and say, well, they're a human. And so am I. Yeah. I know it's, it's a shame that, you know, sometimes those things have to happen first in order to take us to a few steps back in order to go forward. You know, it's like, do I wish that he had come to me first if he was feeling certain things, you know, because he, he is takes responsibility, but then there's always been this underlying like, Oh, well, we weren't perfect. And it's like, okay, well, if there are things that you wanted to address or things that weren't working, talk to me, tell me, you know, and obviously he didn't have the tools or like you said, the bandwidth to do that prior to this happening. Well, and, and who knows if like in his mind, if he thought he was, and maybe you shut down and it's not that anyone's right or wrong. It's just about, Oh, okay. He didn't have the tools to be able to work with this with me. I didn't have the tools to be able to work through this with him. It's no one's right or wrong. Yes. He did a wrong action. You held him accountable for that. But it's also, again, because if you can show compassion for him, then we can turn it on to ourselves. Just because yeah. we say, I understand why somebody did something doesn't mean that we say it's okay that they did that. Yeah, absolutely. That's great points there. I can't wait to listen to that whole episode. I, I think you're going to like, John's just cool. He's just rad and he's, he's just- great, great content. What is yeah. his wife's name again? She has a Vanessa. podcast. Vanessa, yeah. that's right. She's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But it was just, it was nice because I wanted to talk to somebody about this that's worked with people that have done this, not just somebody who has read about it and made their own deductions. It's like, no, what about how have you actually worked with people that have gone through this? And it was yeah. insightful when he was talking about how certain couples can communicate and move through it. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit to like the beginning stages of dating. Um, I'm just kind of thinking about some girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. There's um, some specific people that could benefit from this. Yeah. I just, I know the word, like the most like used word in the dating landscapes, the situation ship is just all mm. over the place. And I want to understand, um, you know, where there's a kind of like balance between dating and like, 
you know, seeing, seeing people and like learning what it is you want, what you don't want. And, you know, de then defining the relationship with somebody. And, and um, I feel like I can think specifically of one friend who maybe kind of jumps on to that a little too soon, at least in my opinion, or like expecting the relationship be to be defined, you know, maybe pretty early on. What advice do you have, or, or, you know, do you think that there's, I know every relationship is different and nuanced and we, we don't want to put, you know, just like very vague timelines. I'm like, well, it's too soon to define the relationship at this point, but what do you, how, how do you, what advice do you give for people that are kind of feeling like they want to have a label, um, but it might be too soon to do so? I, my first thing is like, what is that representing to you? Because a lot of the times that people, like I had a friend, same thing, like she had a guy after three dates asked her to be his girlfriend. And I remember she texted me and she's like, I have, I am so grateful for you. Thank you for working with me. This is all thanks to you. And I wrote her back and I went, no, 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 no. This isn't thanks to me. I was like, something's off. And I was, I, from the beginning, I said, I don't like this. Something's off. I met the guy and I was like, no, no, no. And of course, like she's an adult. She's going to do what she wants. I felt the red flag. Sure enough, what happened? He started to pull away, blah, blah, blah. They talked. And she said, why did you ask me to be your girlfriend after three dates? And he said, I got jealous hearing that you were going on other dates with people. So I wanted to make sure that you weren't going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. That's manipulation. And so that's what I meant. What were your intentions for asking this person for an idol? Sounds like your friend has high anxiety and she wants to make sure you're not going to leave me. You're going to pick me. You're going to be there for me. But what she's doing is she's expediting the stages of a relationship quicker than they need to be. You don't know this person. This person can be a raging piece of shit who's abusive and you don't know that. So instead you're rushing into it because you don't want the feeling of discomfort because you're so uncomfortable with sitting in something because you are, you, you're so disconnected from yourself that you can't even just let something progress. A situationship is a breakdown in communication. Situationships happen because one person saying, I don't want to bring anything up. No, because I'm going to scare them away. Or what if they're not going to want anything? And the other person's being like, cool, I don't have to say anything. These little yeah. bubbles are ridiculous. But yeah, what is that? it's these, um, oh. apparently on if you do if you certain like things. <laughs> exactly. If I do certain things like that, I'm going to get a bubble. But I think for anybody that is looking at like, I want a title and all that, my first, because I have people that will write in like, I went on a date and we hooked up and he said he won't be my boyfriend and blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, where the fuck is the rush? It's like, you are so uncomfortable. And I always say, why did, what, what's your reasoning for wanting exclusivity? Well, because why should they be dating other people? Oh, so you're insecure that they're going to potentially find someone else. You don't yeah. think that you have something incredible that if they go out and date, that they're not going to come back for you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Then all of a sudden you're a year in going, I don't even like this person <laughs> because you're so caught up on, I don't want to be abandoned <laughs> that you don't realize that you're actually self-abandoning and you're abandoning I yourself. Like this person. I, yeah. I had that. I had three relationships in my twenties like that where nothing was wrong with the guys, but I was like, I, I would never be with these people. I just wanted a boyfriend so bad. And they were there. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> as far as. I've, I've barely kind of dipped my toe back into like the dating. I think I'm a little nervous. I don't know. I'll have to sit with that <laughs> but another time. Um, but as far as you know, going back to like, you know, some of people that want to define something very early on and then, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, it seems like there's some people that don't want any label. Um, they just kind of want to 
date around, which is fine. Do you think that there is kind of a place in the middle that's that's healthy where people can, you know, date multiple people, um, have like undefined labels, but defined boundaries? And totally. as long as com- communication is open that, um, you know, they can have a relationship that doesn't necessarily have a label, but that is a place where they can kind of like learn and grow and heal? Maybe not to that extent. Um, because what that's sounding like is it's very Pollyanna and it's assuming that everybody else is going to be on that same page. And it's like, right. because what ends up happening is that gets into that casual friends with benefits territory of, you know, because somebody's feelings are going to get hurt. So it's like, when I date my, my, my partner, yeah, I was dating other people. I, I didn't know I was going at, I want to go slow. Not that we spent, we saw each other twice a week, every week consistently. He yeah. did not text me every day. We would have fun, like phone calls. He would just randomly call me instead, or he would text me after a couple of days. Hey, you know, hope you're having a great day. I'm going to put my phone down. I'll talk. I'll see you on Thursday. But, and that's why I was dating other people. But for me, I wasn't, con- I wasn't attaching to an outcome with anybody. Instead, what I was doing is I have boundaries. I know that I don't want something casual. I'm not interested in something frivolous, but I also want to make sure that this person I'm dating is actually somebody that I'd want a relationship with. So that's why I told him, I want to go slow. It doesn't mean I'm trying to act up and like fuck a bunch of people. Once we, after about nine dates of us, like being very consistent after like a month and a half, he said in the shower one night, I want to delete the app. He was like, I'm not saying you have to do that. I personally don't want to date other people. And I said, okay, cool. I'm down for that, but let's keep dating each other to see if we want a relationship. That took us four months to decide, almost five, to decide that we were like, yeah, let's do this because we were intentional about the moves that we were making, but we were communicating all the time. I would con, hey, like, you know, doing something small, I don't appreciate this. Or like how many times I called him to be like, you want a relationship with me. You want all of these things. I don't feel connected to you. You're not opening up. You're not letting me in. And he was like, you're right. You're right. I do need to start working on that and letting you in more. And it was, it wasn't just perfect all the time. But I think yeah. if you're trying to understand your dating goals, like for you, if you're nervous to get back out to dating, probably because you're nervous about getting triggered, you're nervous about dealing with being hurt and the feelings that are going to come and not knowing and trusting yourself. Yeah. So if you trust yourself that no matter what, you will be okay, you were good before this person, you'll be great after them. Then going out there and experiencing means that I'm not scared about walking on a landmine because I know if I do that, I'm going to be able to jump off of it because I've got my back. Yeah. And just being very clear with the people that you're dating about what you want. Yeah. Being very clear. And and like you said, knowing I can trust myself and Mm -hmm. trust that I'm going to make choices that align with what I really want and need and not make choices based on other people and their expectations. It's okay to walk away from people. It's okay to say, I think that's the hardest uh, reality that we have to make is like when you're dating a guy and like, you know, in your gut, but you know, if you say he's not for me, that that's the end of the road. The rubber met the road at that point. Fantasy and reality have finally met. That was always the hardest part for me. It was not all of the other things, the mental gymnastics I went through to to convince myself that he was for me. Instead, it was by going, yeah, this ain't it. Because then I had to actually do the steps that would hold me accountable to do that. Once I got okay with that, fine, you don't want a relationship next. It didn't mean that I was fucking cold and heartless. That just meant I didn't attach to the outcome. Because if after three dates, somebody tells me they don't want to be with me, great, I go on with my life. I didn't know you before these three dates. Yeah. But it's about also knowing rejection's part of it. You're not, you're going to meet a lot of people. You're beautiful. I could think you're beautiful. The guy next to me could know, I like brunettes. I don't like blondes. Okay. Or I like 
orange women, not purple women, whatever. Okay. You know what? That's your type that you're not into me. No worries. It doesn't mean that I need to start attacking myself of like, see, I'm a piece of shit and all of these things. Cause one schmuck from hinge doesn't like you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. How long have you been in your current relationship? So we just had our one year. Oh, so it's still you. like, Hey, it's still yeah. newer, but like, it's, we have conversations all the time of like, you know, are we happy? Are we fulfilled? Are you good in this relationship? Do you feel like your needs are being met? Like even yesterday, he broke down crying to me because he is avoidant and he didn't know how to open up on a topic with me that he knew meant a lot to me. And we talked it through and we worked it through. And it doesn't mean that just because everything's great, we never have issues. It's just that conflict and resolution balance each other. Yeah. What do you think is like the most significant thing that you've learned or have been able to take a, take away from the year that you've been together so far? A relationship is one giant conversation. It's, I mean, we're always communicating how we feel and that uh, the way I do things isn't the only way that things are done. Because mm. now being with somebody who is what, very rigid, very organized, very type A, I have parts of that, but my whole life isn't like that and his is. He's very control oriented because of his avoidance and that's how he learned. Whereas me, I'm very anxious, but I'm, I can kind of mold and go through it, you know, like, and what I learned is just because I do things this way doesn't mean that everybody has to and to be able to hold space that other people handle things differently. Yeah, that's good. What is on the horizon for you? I know you've blown up. So your podcast is not even a year old, February mm -hmm. of this year. Wow. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So what can we expect next from you? So next, um, I've transitioned. I was doing one-on-ones. I was taking 40 new clients a month, which was fucking killing me. Like it was a lot. It was just, I was working myself down to the bone. So now I'm starting like a whole new program. That's going to be like 15 people more intensively for three months at a time and really working through that, which I'm stoked on. Um, podcasts, we're going to add video and I'm building out my studio. So the podcast is going to have bonus content and expanding. And then I'm working on a book, which is oh fucking my God, crazy. That's exciting. Very exciting. So I'm just super stoked to be able to just do more next year. And so that's honestly, if I can even just maintain what I've done, I'd be happy. So let alone if I grow, I'd be happy. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. I would be interested and happy to follow your work and, and see where Thank it takes you. you. Um, so one last question. I know we've got two minutes left. Talk to me. <laughs> um, so my podcast is called Just Live and kind of the mantra or the tagline is expand on what serves you, release what doesn't and just live. Mm -hmm. So can you let us know right now in your life what you'd like to release and what you would like to expand on? I love that. I love that question. Um, what I'm releasing is still what I've been working on for a while is that I, what I'm releasing is the fact that I don't believe that I am good enough to achieve the results that other people have. I am just like anybody else. I'm building my business. have been terrified. What do you mean? People can make all this money on a course. I won't be able to do that. Who's going to ever do that with me? Those limiting beliefs are what I'm ready to leave. And what I want to step into is believing in myself full, full forward and working through my nervous system. It's not that I don't believe in myself, but I want to work with my nervous system to be able to be comfortable with these new thoughts and, and emotions that I've been having and these new realities, because the success I had also came with a lot of backlash of people that don't like me, of people that hate what I have to say, because apparently dating is that triggering to people that they have to attack you. So cool. 
But working through all that is leaving behind those core beliefs and that narrative and stepping into a new container because I've outgrown that space and now it's time to do something scary and take up space in a new way. And it's terrifying, but I know that by the end of next year, I'll be swapping out the container and saying it's time to grow again. And I'm just excited about that step. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. So much great insight. I really appreciate it. And um, got a lot to share and to digest here. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs>